going to do an episode on denominational traditionalism and how it's killing the church, but we've never done that before and I don't like it, so scratch it. We're not going to do it. Christ lives in the heart of a champion. And welcome back to the Code of Man podcast. Who was that guy talking earlier? I don't know. He's a very wise man. Oh, wise man once said, we've never done it that way before. So we ain't going to do it. Yeah, we don't like it. Forget about it. (laughs) Well, that is our hot topic of the day. We're going to be discussing the second of three things that are killing the church in America today. That sounds pretty interesting to me. You tell me you're going to talk about three things killing the church. I want to hear about that. We talked, actually over the course of two episodes, we discussed how Christian celebrity culture is definitely hurting, killing the church in America. It's taking us away from the core truth of the gospel and the focus on Jesus and making the focus about big names. Celebrated evangelists, musicians, pastors, and people in the pews chasing that. They're either following it or they themselves are like, I can get a piece of that pie. you know. Well, today we're going to talk about the second thing, that is killing the church, which is denominational traditionalism. Part of me wants to say, well, is it denominationalism? Is it traditionalism? Is it denominational? Tra- what? How do you say this? Here's the definition of denominationalism, okay? The emphasizing of denominational differences to the point of being narrowly exclusive. That's the definition That's the definition of denominationalism, the emphasizing of denominational differences to the point of being narrowly exclusive. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't didn't Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me? I tell you something right now, old Overtrek, that's pretty narrowly exclusive. Hey, man, (laughs) somebody hold my mule while I shout. Let me read Mark chapter 7. Then came together, I'm start verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. By the way, we're going to talk about this whole denominational sect thing. Yeah. Pharisees, scribes, you also had the Sadducees, then you had these disciples, and then you had the confused people that didn't know who to follow. But here come the Pharisees and certain of the scribes. And when they saw some of his disciples, the disciples of Jesus, Eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. I'm going to read more, but I cannot read that verse and not stop and say, what in the world? Yeah. Yeah, I used to get in trouble for eating without washing my hands, and it was always from a hygiene perspective. You should have took them to Jesus. Yeah. Because he's going to shoot that down. Exactly. (laughs) I I know, kind of didn't finish the reading yet, and I will, but... Here's a key point that I think will come up in this discussion. It was so significant to these guys because they had made it so significant. It had been their tradition for so long. And to them, 
there was good cause for this. It was ritualistic. It was part of the law. It was part of their rules. They go on to explain in verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And I want to say back to them, Your answer's in the question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus wasn't interested in the tradition of your elders, but I read on. He answered, we'll let Jesus speak for himself. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I think somewhere in the course of our discussion today, we're going to come back to these words of Jesus. Howbeit, he says, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Let me, let me just skip down to verse 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such like things do ye. So here's this conflict going on between the traditions of men and the word. Jesus says the commandments of God. We can use that word. Yeah. Commandments is a strong word, right? But there's a conflict here between the traditions of men and the commandments of God. Yeah, I and mean, I think right off the bat, a lot of the a lot of the um, the conflict arises from the traditions of men, though. They may have originated, that they may have started by building off of the commandments of God. The the authority and the, the point of emphasis, the emphasis switches over the course of time from being centered on, okay, we hold to this because this is what God said and we want to honor God. And it switches to we hold to this because faithful men over the eons of time have done this and we're going to honor these men. Well, who are we honoring? Are we honoring the faithful men or are we honoring God? And I think that's where the conflict between the commandments of God and the traditions of men come in. Yeah, and the lines get blurred too. The The lines really get blurred because you have doctrines of the Bible that we are never to compromise on, that we're to always stand on. And, true fundamentals. Yes, yep. true fundamentals. But then there are some folks who have the same passion about man-made traditions that mm. are nowhere found in the Bible and their convictions on that is just as strong, maybe even stronger, on fundamental biblical truths. Yep. Here's another great passage just that will help facilitate discussion that you reminded me of. Because, But Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 down through 10, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And I want to fast forward to the end of this discussion and say that for me, that's the number one thing we do to help this. Yeah. We keep helping people walk in Jesus. Keep them focused on Jesus. And he says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, here comes this part two. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy 
and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's everything. All that I was, I was uh, remembering the other day out mowing my yard. I don't know where this fits, but just want to throw it out there. I remember last September being down at the beach. I'm going to say beach because it's, it's against the tradition to say center, coast. Center. Yeah. I was at the beach, standing on the beach, looking out across the ocean. I remember seeing, you know how you can often see the moon still in the daytime, and seeing this gigantic moon. I mean, you could see much of the moon during the middle of the day, and it just struck me with how awesome God is in creation. And then it hits me, okay, I'm, I'm kidding myself. Who am I kidding? How can I sit here and claim to know God? How do I know God, the God that made all this and holds all this together? And I said it from my heart. God, how can I really say I know you? And this is the answer the Lord gave me through Jesus. And, you know, look, 20-plus years I have been in this faith, and I'm going to tell you that was a revelation for me that day. Like a light came on. Yes, that's it. I've believed it my whole life but didn't understand it. Jesus is the way we know God. You can't know God without Jesus. And the more we know Jesus, the more we know God. So that's going to be, I'm going to keep hammering that point today, that's how we overcome this thing. But anyway, he says, and ye are complete in him, verse 10, which is the head of all principality and power. Boy, I like that passage. So let me ask this question then. What are the problems with this hanging ourselves on our denominational tradition. How, why is that killing the church? What's the problem here? I'll give you the first one, and then you guys jump in there. Here's one. We hear so much right now about the decline in church attendance. We use that term attendance. And we know, I think you all agree, we all agree, church attendance is not enough. People attend church all the time, but that, that means nothing. We want people to be engaged and, and a part of the church, not just attending services. But that's the, the statement that's used. Church attendance is on a decline. This is uh, coming from an article from Christianity Today entitled, U.S. Religion Census Maps Changing Churches, Declining Denominations. Listen to this information. Most data about religion in America comes from polling, but polling has its limits. So every 10 years, the Association of Statisticians of American Religious Bodies counts and maps religious congregations in the U.S. Now, in 2010, 2010, the organization counted 236 religious groups. This is in the U.S., with 344,894 congregations and 150.7 million regular participants. I like this. They released their results in a 726-page 26 26 book with 31 color maps. Wow. I really hope somebody will get me one of those for Christmas. Now, in 2020, they're counting again. Southern Baptist, American Baptist, plus National, Progressive, Independent, Fundamental, Full Gospel, Free Will, and Original Free Will Baptist. They're counting Grace Gospel Fellowships and Fellowships of Grace Brethren, 12 types of Lutherans, 30 affiliations of Amish. They're counting churches without buildings and churches that meet in multiple locations, congregations with no denomination, and congregations that belong to more than one. I mean, that's I running the gamut. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. You could be a congregation and be... 
part what, of multiple different dominoes? Have you never went by one of those churches that has the sign out front that says, we're the Pentecostal, Baptistic, Free Will, Evangelical, Lutheran Church of America? I mean, I've seen those. I have. I've just always thought they were non-denominational churches. I didn't realize that you could actually literally be... They're being all things to all people. I guess... Yeah, they might win some. Well, I guess it depends <laughs> what side of the church you sit on. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. change up. Well, you know, that would cut down on a lot of the strife. Yeah. I mean, just you feel free to sit in the Baptist section today. Right, so you can... You can handle snakes on this side. But that that brings up a whole different <laughs> dynamic to, uh, excuse me, you're in my seat. Oh, mm. yeah. You don't want to mess with the wrong side of the church on that one. That's a multi-layered church fight. I'm, I'm going to finish the quotation. They just won't clean stats, but these data obsessives end up mapping denominational decline and transformation, migration, reorganization, and the seemingly endless shifts in the shape of church. According to a retired United Methodist pastor, Richard H. Taylor, quote, there really is a feeling that maybe denominations have seen their day. Hmm. I don't know, Richard. It seems like the denominations are flourishing well. I mean, you don't like yours, go start another one. Yeah, exactly. Or say that you're not a denomination, but really you are. Uh, You become a denomination of non-denominations. That's it. Yeah. And, And trying to be truly positive, like if you say you're Lutheran, okay, Okay, I understand that. I've got it. I know where you're coming from. If you're Baptist, if you're Episcopalian. But i got to tell you, fellas, I don't know that that holds true anymore. Mm-mm. A guy can say he's Baptist. What does that mean? Yeah. Are you traditional, contemporary, or blended? <laughs> yep. Yeah, free will. Mean are a you lot black things. coffee? Uh, <laughs> are you some sort of latte-sipping, non-fat frou-frou drinker? I don't know. Yeah. We're Baptists, so <laughs> we're hundred dollar bills. Yeah, we're hundred dollar. We're hundred dollar bills. Well, of course, I'm. I, obviously, I am connecting the strong black coffee to the truly fundamental, Jesus loving people. Right. Of course. And the frou frou fruitcake stuff goes to those who are on the fringe of complete fruitiness. So if you're a frou frou drinker, you just go ahead and turn <laughs> us off right now. Yeah. 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 Uh, repent. Yeah. <laughs> Go to your safe space, you snowflake. <laughs> Just kidding. Boy, we've derailed. <laughs> that escalated All right, quickly. so I think there's these denominational, there's this explosion of more denominations, okay? They're everywhere. But then Pew Research says, this is in what was released in 2019, their data from 2019, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians, when asked about their religion, but that's down 12 percentage points over the past decade, while the atheist, agnostic, or, quote, nothing in particular, now stands at 26% of our population, which is up from 17% just 10 years prior. So the unaffiliated is growing while the definitive Christian numbers are dropping. This kind of denominational traditionalism is not making us grow and reach more people. Yeah, because isn't it kind of ironic that the more denominations and the more splinter groups that we have, I think that there's a telling statement there that, you know, the more infighting that we have, and, well, I'm just going to go down here and start this up, we're losing a lot. There's a lot of casualties to that of people that are like, man, if this is what religion is all about, if this is what, quote-unquote, Christianity is all about, we can get that got, in the NFL. Yeah, I ain't got time for this. And so, who's your team? Yeah, and as as we're as we're fighting more and getting all of these new denominations and new options, 
There's also this growth of, I don't want any of these options because it's all fake. It's all just a waste of time. And I'm better off sleeping in on a Sunday morning and just doing my own thing. Yeah, and so this factors back into that whole Christian celebrity culture because go back to Corinth, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and you got everybody today is rah rah in their denomination, and then you got the to use your word the fanboys walking around with their favorite preacher's name stitched on the back of a jersey, you know, because it's a celebrity culture. Yep. Yeah. And the world's looking at that circus and saying, guys are nuts, you know. And not only that, but going back to our previous discussions just about the rise of social media and how things are different now. You know, back in the day when denominations may have been stronger, a lot of people went to their denomination that was in their area. Mm-hmm. But now, at the convenience of wherever you are on your smartphone or your computer, whatever it may be, you have access to everything and just about anything. So now you have certain denominations that are being exposed for certain things. The worst of them are being exposed for something. And you have these people, and they can pick and choose whoever they want. Mm. And they don't have time to, to, to go to a certain place because they're like, you know what? I don't have time for any of this. I can find whoever I want, listen to it at my own convenience. I don't have time for all this different denominationalism. Yeah, I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Um, there was an article I was researching, reading earlier, and I meant to get that bad boy out. Maybe I can pull it up digitally since, you know, working with you millennials has taught me a lot. Uh, but anyway, it was all about uh, some of the, it was like the top ten reasons. Man, it didn't print. I meant to print that bad boy. Anyway, what were you just saying? I, carry on. I'll look that up. Say everything you just said all over uh, again. Yeah, so <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> one thing that's hurting. Ah, I found it. Got it. <clears throat> so in conclusion, <laughs> that reminded me of this, what you just said, reminded me of an article. I Now, I've got to tell you, I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name who wrote it, but the title of it is 10 Reasons Even Committed Church Attenders Are Attending Church Less Often. And, you know, it's a real issue. But I thought his list was pretty fascinating. And number one thing was greater affluence, which means people got more money these days. More money means more options, right? In a nutshell, that's it. Number two, higher focus on kids' activities. Yep. A growing number of kids are playing sports, and a growing number of kids are playing on teams that require travel, and a growing number of affluent parents are choosing sports over church. Hmm. Number three, more travel. Have you noticed this trend? When I was a boy, you left for vacation on Monday, and you came back on Saturday. The trend now is leave on Saturday and come back the following Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I'm not throwing stones on that. I'm just saying I think it all factors into a mindset, which is his number 10. I'll get to in a moment. Four. Number four, blended and single-parent families. I suppose the the point there being the pressures put on that, you know, we, we, we know there is still this culture of prejudice and racism, and there is also this increasing number of both single-parent home and blended family home. And if our denominational traditions don't allow for ministry to these people, well, of course they're not coming to church. But number five, which is what you reminded me of, Online options, the rise of online church, social media, 
It's the global they, church. Yes. They, there have never been more opportunities for people to, and I'm quoting, access church without being there. Okay? And that is big, man. I tell you what, look how many people after coming out of the COVID time are like, oh, we got to keep these online services. This is great. Yeah. And you want to say, why? We're, we're having church. So what what has almost happened? There used to be there used to be kind of a uh, a negative way of viewing churches that had big bus ministries where they had the main church and then they had the bus church and it was like two separate churches. That's what's getting ready to. That's what's going to be our generation's thing. Is well, here's the main church, but our online church has X number. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you got two different churches why aren't we supposed to be bringing them together in one church i can see the online pastor resumes going out right now yeah Mm. yeah and i i thought it was an issue just trying to keep us from having two different services where we got the congregation split i told somebody the other day if you have two different church services you've got two different churches yeah You, you don't have one church with different service times. I, I can't buy into that, but that's you know that's me just holding to my tradition. Let me just give you the rest of the list. Number six, the cultural disappearance of guilt. People used to feel guilty about not being in church, and that's not an issue anymore. Eh, you know. <laughs> uh, number <laughs> seven. Sorry. Number seven. That's a great quote. There. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Number seven, self-directed spirituality. People are looking less to churches and leaders to help them grow spiritually and more to other options, factor in social media and yeah. internet. Well, and I'm the priest of my own home, mm-hmm. yeah. Hebrews. I don't know if it's a good time to throw this in there, but that that brings to my mind how sometimes you have denominations, they've been doing certain things for a long time, for so long, they'd almost develop their own language, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Here's what I mean by that. So you have a denomination, and somebody within that denomination, there's a certain saying that people say. It's the lingo. It's the lingo, and we all know what it means. For example, I'll use this one. Someone gets up and says, I know I'm saved because I don't live the way I used to. Well, we know what that means. We know that that means because you're a new creature in Jesus Christ, You've put your trust and faith in him. You've been saved. So now you don't desire the things of the flesh like you did before you were saved. We understand that. But from the outside looking in, from other Christians, from other parts of the world, whatever, they hear that, they say, oh, that's a works-based salvation. Yeah. That guy just said he knows he's saved because he lives a certain way. I'm not into this. So they do exactly what we're talking about. They're like, nah, that's not for me. That's something different and they go looking somewhere else. Yeah, and the refusal to set down, this this is big on this topic. Matter of fact, this can go under the solution category, what I'm about to say, but the refusal to set down across the table with somebody that's not part of your denomination and your group and say, tell me about your faith. Explain this to me. I remember uh, having lengthy, multiple lengthy conversations with a fellow officer in the Army who was a devout Catholic. If I've mentioned this before, forgive me. But uh, he was he was so, not only a devout Catholic, but he attended the Latin Mass. He was so wow. devout wow. and didn't even understand all the Latin talk, but he just believed that those priests were more traditional conservative and meant what they were doing. 
And so he would go there, and I we had multiple lengthy conversations, and I would ask him specific questions. Tell me about the prayers to Mary. Tell me why you believe in transubstantiation. Give me some background on this. And I tell you, it was fascinating to talk to somebody who knew about it and could tell me why. And I could say, well, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with all that, but I definitely see now where you're coming from and why that means what it does to you. Our healthy conflict in modern day, well, it's been going on for a long time. Healthy conflict is gone. It's Healthy conflict is being able to just tolerate one another. And the discussion ends up ending with, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and then the door slamming. Yeah. That we need we'll more agree of, to disagree. Yeah, yeah, we'll agree to disagree. Amen, love you, and then it's over. But versus <laughs> what you're saying, actually having a discussion and challenging yourself, mm-hmm. not saying this guy's wrong, I'm, you know, no matter what he says, I'm the way I am, but actually challenging yourself, saying, you know what? Why do I believe what I believe? Can I take the Bible and show someone why I hold to the things that I do? We can't, we can't be so insecure and afraid. Well, and why are we insecure and Correct. afraid? Do, right. do we actually truly have conviction and believe what we say we believe, or are we just repeating tradition? Yep. Well, and to kind of carry on a theme that we've been doing the last few weeks, uh, verses taken out of context. Cherry picking. Yeah, one of the things that, one of the reasons that we can't do what you're talking about, Overtrek, is because we have so misused the terminology be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Man, I can't sit down I can't sit down from the table and because in order well, I'll say it this way, in order to have the kind of conversations that you're talking about, you gotta have a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not just gonna go into the phone book and look up Catholic priest, oh hey, let's sit down and have an open, candid conversation. In order to have that level of conversation, I have to have a relationship with them. Well, in order to have a relationship with them, there's going to have to be a unifying factor, and for so long, that's what's been preached. Hey, yeah, you, could it be Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's been preached. Now, hey, you can't you can't sit across the table with them. You can't have a relationship with them because hey, they're they're an unbeliever. That's going to lead you down a path of compromise. That's going to lead you down a path of this, that, or the other, and it's taken out of context. Going back to a passage of scripture we like to quote on here a lot, Psalms chapter one. Blessed is the man, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And that's what ends up happening. Somebody outside of your denomination traditionalism, you have this skeptic attitude, this scornful, guess who I talked to over the weekend? You know, some, some so-and-so from some other denomination came to my house, and they said this, and then I said this, and made them look stupid, and everybody laughed. I put them on the run. Yeah, and then we make fun <laughs> of them, and then we start our normal, you know, dead services, right? But, yeah. it, it, but that's what happens. We have that scornful mentality. Ooh, we celebrate that. We celebrate that Baptist gunslinger. Yeah. Pew, pew. Oh, pew, you pew, got him. America. <laughs> Okay. That's I next took, week. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's next week. Sorry. So just because somebody of our nine fans will write in and say you didn't finish the list, number eight is failure to see a direct benefit, that is with coming to church. Number nine, valuing attendance over engagement, which I think reflects more on church leadership by not getting people engaged and saying it's okay. We just want you to be here. Three to thrive, baby. Number 10. <laughs> Number 10, a massive (laughs) culture shift, which encompasses a lot of what we've been discussing. So, boy, I took a lot of – I guess we really took a lot of time on that first point. But, you know, the decline in church attendance. We're killing ourselves with this denominationalism, denominational traditionalism, by people aren't coming to church anymore. Number eight, what was number eight? Um, I had a point for that. 
the exact wording of number eight. Sorry about that. Failure to see a direct benefit. Yes. And, and, and that was one of the, the things we followed traditions for so long. You have a certain group, they have their denomination traditionalism, and it becomes shallow. They know what they believe, but they can't tell you why they believe it. And yeah. they've been doing it for so long. So when you have someone who legitimately is looking for a church, and they come in, and they, they burn the road up. When the preacher says amen, they're like, I ain't ever making this mistake again. And one of the reasons is they don't get anything. Because within that denomination traditionalism, there's a satisfaction with this shallow, we've been doing it this way for 50 years. You mean all my kin? <laughs> yeah. Hobby, hobby, hobby. We've been doing it this way for so long, and this is church to us. We're a bunch of spiritual inbreeds. Yeah. That's what I. That was where my all my kin yeah, come yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean there. Yeah. And and so we're, we're we're. It's just you know the old expression, "Our four and no more." We don't think about. I wrote this down a moment ago with the things you all were talking about. But if we would learn to speak and teach scriptural language, and avoid that our language language our lingo, yeah. what that would do is it would create a central focus on God's word. Which again, Jesus has said to these Pharisees, you've, you've made this all about your traditions and you forsook the commandments of God. Yeah. Come back to the central thing. Yeah. So yeah. shallowness is another way we're killing ourselves through this stuff. And people want something genuine. People want something real. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking for Christians looking for church, but even um, non-believers who, who realize there's something missing in their life, they're looking for something real. The last thing they want is just a bunch of religious rituals and fakeness and just going through the motions. Like you're talking about lingo. It's, it's sad with a lot of that. Some people even have their own church lingo. They even have their own church voice. They they act and talk a certain way. And then when they're outside church, they don't even sound like the same person. Oh, brothers, yeah. it's good to see you today. Two hours later, how's it going? Ah, it's pretty hey, good. Man. How about you? Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, you want to go get some hey, coffee, bro. dude? Hey, bro. <laughs> So all that we're talking about, there's been a lot of problems that have been mentioned. In order to fix them, it's going to require change. And part of our denominational traditionalism is, bless God, we don't change for nothing. You know, we are averse to change because in our lingo, change has become equivocated with compromise. Well, if you change, you're compromising. You know, you're forsaking the old paths. You're... You know, you're doing you're moving this. the ancient landmarks. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 it, man. <laughs> Hashtag taking it out of context. That, they don't even know what chapter that's in. <laughs> but which is kind of what the Pharisees kept throwing at Jesus. You know, hey, we've got Moses, and anyhow, but uh, but this but this resistance to change is is killing because sometimes so change for the sake of change is bad. We don't change just because, well, it's time to change something. But change because you have acknowledged that either, okay, this is no longer applicable to the current generation. This this isn't the way that this generation is thinking, so we need to try to change our methodology, not change our doctrine, not change our message, but change our methodology. So uh, acknowledging problems and making change is good, healthy, and beneficial. But being resistant to any and all change just because, hey, we ain't never done it that way before is crippling because it, it, it squashes zeal that people have that's like, okay, man, there's a fire building. Nah, we ain't doing that. We just doused them with water, and we, we've, we've killed all of that, and, and it's, it's, it's hurting us. It's almost, 
well, it is ironic how you have some groups that hold so strictly to traditions. There's almost like a petty culture when you go there. And here's what I mean by that. They have all these rules that they cannot break, and they have all these traditions that they hold to, but yet they take little issues about the color of the carpet, where we're going out to eat for the church fellowship, and they turn it into this huge ordeal, and there's all these problems. And that's a danger in, in the holding to all these traditions and having that we're not going to change anything because now people are saying, well, I don't have a voice with anything else, and we have all these traditions, but I can get up and argue about where we're eating this Saturday for the church function, and I can argue about this. So now you have this group that's holding to all these traditions that they don't even know why they hold to them, and they can't even make a simple decision as to where we're going to go out to eat after church. Straining the gnats to swallow a camel? That's it. So what are the what are the biggest things people are resisting when it comes to change? I shared with you guys beforehand, this one was by Tom Rayner, but the top ten most fiercely defended traditions in churches. It's a very short article. I'm sure that, that uh, they've probably got a podcast where they expound on this, but I would say go look that up if people want to see that. But just... Just the top five, okay? Just the top five. Working my way backwards. Number five, committee structure. Many congregations continue committee structures long after their usefulness has waned. We need a committee for that. Yeah. You know, a lot of committees. You ever been in these churches? They got like 25 committees. They got a committee to form a committee. And a lot of the same people serve on all the committees yeah. or, or half the committees. Number four, the role of the pastor. The pastor is to be omnipresent and omniscient. Many church members have clear expectations of what their pastor should do. And he's got that word, their pastor, in in quotations because that's the view. He's the hired hand. I love what Adrian Rogers said. I think I sent this out to you guys one time. He said the the pastor that's always available isn't worth much when he is available. Yeah. That that's kind of how yeah. he said it. And uh and then number three was the time of worship service. Oh, yeah. The time of worship service. Number two was the order of worship service. And number one was worship and music style. Yeah. And I would say that those, uh, at least those top top three or four there, probably still pretty preeminent in yep. the conflict. And in all reality, especially the top three, there's a lot of preferences that's involved yes, in there. preferences I mean, are the big key the word there. I mean, all three of those... You can't find any kind of support in Scripture anywhere about what your style of worship music should be. Now, there are biblical principles on music, but there's no scriptural precedent on service times, the amount of services, when, and all that kind of stuff. So, again, we're building points of contention off of stuff that the Scripture is silent about because it it's irrelevant to what genuine Christianity is. And we lose... We lose while we're doing it to begin with. Right. And then you have those who fight that. And one of my solutions is stop trying to fight denomination traditionalism with creating new denomination traditions. And that's what ends up happening. You guys have all these things that y'all do, and we're going to start something new. And 10 years later, you have all these other people who are doing the same thing you're doing, and you just created this new tradition and there's no, it's it's shallow. There's not, and all you're doing is pointing the finger at the other group, and you're doing the same thing that they were doing. Why? How is this denominational traditionalism killing each other? There's the decline in church mm-hmm. participation. There's the shallowness of our theology. There is the 
hesitancy to change. And, and let's throw in there positive change. We right. should resist <laughs> stuff that doesn't make sense. Sure. And then the, the final thing I'll throw in there, and we've kind of already been discussing it, is the faction, the factions that develop. Or is this a word, factionalism? We There's just, different sects and factions within the yeah. church. Again, we go back where I started with Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes. And everybody's got their own little group that they're a part of. And what they do, they all get in a circle, and it's a circular firing squad because our focus becomes all about the guy across the street, the church downtown, that pastor over there, and why they're wrong and we're right. And all our energy gets poured into that instead of pouring our energy into reaching people with the gospel, going out into the community and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So these are some pretty practical reasons why denominational traditionalism is killing the church in America. I'm, I'm focused so much on the guy that I'm firing at across from me. Well, they don't do this and they don't do that. I'm not even living up to the standards that I'm supposed to be, and I'm not sharing the gospel with the world like I'm supposed to. We forget that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but right. against principalities well, and powers. Our problem is is we're a bunch of juveniles. Yep. Yep. We are the disciples pre-resurrection. That's what we act like. Yeah. We got Peter's kind of whole gung-ho approach with the, getting his foot in his mouth. We got James and John wanting want to, call to call down fire. fire. <laughs> you know, we got Thomas over here, which, by the way, I just want to throw a shout-out to Thomas because he's up in glory right now and might be listening. I don't know. He gets called Doubting Thomas a lot. A lot. I would like to say that I just think he was good old on, Honest Thomas. Amen. I think he was just the kind of guy that said, you know what, I don't understand this, Lord, so I'm just going to ask a question. Yep. <laughs> Poor guy gets butchered for just being honest. Yep. Anyway, so to wrap it up then, let's wrap it up for these couple last couple minutes with what's the answers? What are we going to do? And I think we've been identifying them, and I've been scratching them down, so let me start it and you tell me what I'm missing. All right, from what we've been discussing, I think, number one, if we're going to avoid this denominational traditionalism, we've got to come back to a centrality or preeminence of Jesus in everything. Amen. Now, that's that Colossians 2 passage that I read at the beginning. You ought to go back and read that again. I think, secondly, the centrality of scriptural uh, teaching and language. So speak to the Bible. Use the Bible terminology. You know, speak biblical truth, biblical language. Again, Mark 7, Jesus said, you get so caught up on the traditions of men, you forget about the commandments of God. Third thing I wrote down was open, friendly dialogue with others that have different views. This is chicken scratched on a piece of paper. There's probably a better way to... You can put, we can put this in the show notes, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get some show notes. So my examples there, and you, you would have others, but you know, Jesus and Paul... I mean, they did not hesitate to go in among crowds of differing views and converse with them. Paul would go into the cities, and he would start in the synagogues with people he knew wouldn't agree with him, but his, his effort was about trying to connect with them to bring them to Jesus. Right. And the fourth thing I wrote down, which we didn't per se mention out loud, but I'll just throw it out there, rally around the home base. And I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but you have a local church. You have a congregation of believers that you have united with. You have a pastor who has been appointed by God to teach. And and always come back and unite around that. But don't let that be a place where you go for a pep rally to get stirred up about how you're better than everybody else. Come back there where you're united in your faith and your beliefs. So as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he says what he told the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians. He said, therefore, brethren... Stand fast, 
and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So there's a place for some good tradition, and it's what you're, when you're being taught from the word of God, this is good tradition. By the way, that word tradition just simply means the things which have been handed down or handed over, that which has been taught and passed down that's grounded in Scripture and Jesus. So, yeah. Well, I would just say just all of those can't really add to that. My, my number one would be to just challenge yourself. If your answer, and, and I'm not talking about getting the final word or, or trying to make yourself look good, but ask yourself, why, why do I hold to these things? And if your answer to yourself is, well, Dr. So-and-so said that, or that's the way I've always done it, well, take the scriptures and, and really pray about that and say, Lord, why, is there benefit in this? Should I keep holding to this? Maybe not as strongly, but challenge yourself and understand, why do I believe what I believe? Why are we doing these traditions, and are they, are they really beneficial? And remove the guilt for considering that, because I think that's part of the thing, especially maybe in, in our individual movement. We have been so ingrained that if you even question the traditions— you're probably a compromiser. There's a difference in questioning for the sake of like what you're talking about. What is my foundation? Why do I believe it? And questioning it because you're just trying to tear things down and you're trying to. So we need to remove the guilt. If our intentions are pure of, okay, Lord, I'm trying to make sure that I'm grounded on you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it's healthy. So remove the guilt for considering it. Well, what is worldliness? James defines worldliness as in envy and strife. If every time we are challenged on something, there is strife, and we have to combat that and, and put people down and, and talk harshly, that's worldliness. There's something wrong inside there. That is something we need to repent of. and come. We should be able to take all questions from, from anyone, and even if we can't answer it right then and there, we should be able to say, Lord, okay, what's the answer to this? Yeah. Why do I believe this? Can I take the Bible and show someone without doing what you said— uh, to where we're okay, you sinner! How dare you question me? You know, yeah. do do as I say. Yeah. You know, there might be something to that old statement. Well, Jesus is the answer to everything. <laughs> I mean, Paul said it. Yeah, you've received Christ Jesus. Walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him. Beware of those that try to take you away from Him. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him. Well, this has been pretty good, guys. Yeah. So this is the second of three. Yeah. Next time we're going to be talking about Christian, Christian nationalism. nationalism. And, and for our two listeners that are left, they're probably going to leave. <laughs> yeah, we're going to blow them out of the water next time. America. This well, is uh, our swan song edition of the podcast. Yeah. Well, probably I have been thinking about retiring. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, until next time, thank you for listening. This is Mike Overtrek Barnett saying, and happy trails to you. This is Dr. Dean Roland Napoleon, and you are welcome. And this is Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next week. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning desire to be the best you can be
the heart of a champion.